Welcome to In The Loop, Tales of the Blade, where we dive into the fascinating and often humorous history of figure skating. Let's introduce this week's hosts. I'm Carly. I'm the learner on this episode. I don't know what we're talking about. You can find me on Twitter at CyberswanSP. And I'm Tilda. I am, for once, the storyteller. So uh, you can find me on Twitter at Tilda. So you excited, Carly? Yes. Uh, hold on. We're learning about, am I pronouncing his name right? Ulrich Salko? <laughs> I'm going to guess that's a no. So in Sweden, we say Ulrich Salkov. Ulrich. Yes. Nice. Imagine it's a V at the end instead of a W. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. You want to know what I know about him? Yes, I do. That was what I was going to ask. How do you know this? Okay. <laughs> um, I know that he invented the Salco, which obviously we're all pronouncing wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was Swedish? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe? Was he Swedish? Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> well done. He's European. Yes. So that's why I wanted to uh, share his story because I'm Swedish and I'm being patriotic right now. <laughs> this guy is like one of the uh, greatest athletes in Sweden and obviously his name is not one that people in the figure skating world is gonna forget anytime soon. Yeah. Is he like well known in Sweden? Uh, Not really because it was quite a long time ago yeah that makes sense yeah so it's kind of like you know you might have heard his name and i think it's the same for a lot of figure skating fans is you know like they know he existed and he invented a jump and he was probably pretty good <laughs> i am probably going to pronounce his name like in the uh english way because <laughs> just because i don't want to switch between swedish pronunciations for convenience so let me start the narrative tell me about his life yes i shall and first i want to start by saying that figure skating has like quite an old uh, tradition in sweden you know some people claim that uh, skating originated in scandinavia and stuff oh really so you know this is like an ancient tradition that we're mm -hmm. we're starting way back and i'm not gonna like go into all of the story but just know that in ye old times in ye old times uh, <laughs> the first skating club was in sweden was uh, created in 1866 oh wow that's old yes yes it's a long time ago and then we have uh, the stockholm public skating club in 1883 so the interesting about that is that the skating club was actually taking part in creating the ISU. Oh, really? Yes, yes. And it is actually one of only two skating clubs that are direct ISU members. Still. I have you to blame. <laughs> Which is interesting because normally in the ISU you have the feds that are members and then the skating clubs are like associated with the feds. Yeah. But the Stockholm Public Skating Club is like a direct member. That's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, in this, Salko comes in when he was born in 1877, and his full name was Carl Emil Julius Ulrich Salko. That's a long name. Yes. You got the Julius Caesar vibe, too. <laughs> I was gonna say, I heard Julius, and I was like, Julius Caesar, my man? Yes. Uh, and he was actually born in Copenhagen to Danish parents. Fake sweet! Fake sweet! His... <laughs> His brother was an author who wrote, like, spy novels. Oh my god, that's so cool. Yes. You know, you can still get the spy novels at the library, so I've been thinking of, like, checking them out. Dude, do <laughs> yes. it. 
Yeah. I love spy novels. I know, right? Uh, Wilhelm Salkov was his name. Okay. And he was actually, Wilhelm was deported from Denmark because of unemployment. Oh no. And meanwhile, like, I guess uh, Ulrich was just like chilling in Stockholm. He's just like, yeah, I'm starting my figure skating career. My brother just got deported. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, Ulrich also married a Danish woman who was a doctor, actually called Anne Elizabeth. Whoa, marrying up. Yeah, I know, right? Isn't that the goal? <laughs> I know, right? Icon. I'm just gonna get the sad stuff out of the way and say that he died in 1949 when he was 72 years old. Okay, so he lived decently long. Yeah, yeah, sure. And boy, did he have time to do a lot during his life. Yeah. <laughs> Let me get into it. All right, <laughs> let's go. Let's dig deep. Yes. Okay, so I'm actually going to jump ahead to when he's 19 years old. Okay. Because that's when he had his world's debut. This was 1897, and he actually got the silver. Oh, dude. Awesome. And you know, when you think about it, that was actually quite young at, at that point. Yeah. Time, you know. Yeah. <laughs> no, definitely. But like, silver on your world's debut, isn't that the goal? I mean, to be fair, there weren't a lot of competitors. But still. In those. Still, still. And he 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 came behind the Austrian Hugel, who is like going to be one of his big rivals going forward. Mm. And they say that he could have like had a good shot at winning because he had like really good technique on the compulsory figures. But they were like kind of too small. So that was like one of his big weaknesses. He had like small figures. It's interesting because like I've never watched anything with figures. I wasn't really aware that like, oh, they could be too small. Like, you know, I don't, I still don't really understand the whole mechanics of the figures. Yeah, yeah. And at this time, they were like a huge part of uh, of the competition. They were like the most important parts. And then at this time, we also had like different national styles. Yeah. Um. So he, he skated obviously in the Swedish style. And some people said that he was like, too flashy they had like a, a knee bend which some people call like ugly and they got like a lot of power from like swinging the free leg and they all were also like swinging their arms so people were like oh ugly <laughs> swinging <laughs> oh, let me just wave my arms and legs around yeah and, and and people actually were like shocked that they did some of their jumps with like an arm raised in the air oh really yes hashtag original tano <laughs> Why don't we call it the Ulrich? The Ulrich, yes. The free program at this time wasn't like very jump oriented. And then, you know, he had like uh, quite a, a flashy program with like spins and jumps and stuff. And he invented a new jump. And then some people thought that this was like almost a disadvantage because people wanted to focus on like what figure skating was really about, which was like the figures and the steps. Yeah, no, Sorry. that kind of like at the time, like that makes sense that they were more focused on the figures and they didn't want to focus on jumps. But like, like in nowadays, if like you could invent a new jump, people like I feel like fans would be like, good on you, mate. Yeah, like, exactly. You invented a new jump like you, you do that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, and I mean, later on, you got like the international standard with the compulsory figures. But at this point, it was like very much the judges would like judge according to, you know, what they considered a good style. And so it was like quite a disadvantage to compete in a different country because then people would be like, oh, I don't like your style. So I'm going to mark you down. Yeah. Yeah. You had like the English style, which was like very stiff. And then you had the 
Viennese style, which was more like dancing and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> That's really interesting. I never knew that they had like different country styles, but it's like really interesting to think about. And like, I wonder if like there's still remnants of that today. Yeah, that was actually like one of the main purposes of the ISU was to create like more solid judging, a proper system, like a standardizing it so you got an international style and uh, international standards for judging and it's actually interesting to note that uh, competition forms in those days won't actually be like too unfamiliar to our dear listeners today <laughs> because you know you had the compulsory figures and the free program and yeah the judging was actually like an early version of the 6.0 system oh yeah yeah because ever since the start of the isu they have had like a basic basic 6.0 system in place. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, I mean, people were like scored uh, in the free program from one to six. I kind of wonder how that came about. Like, what's really funny is like in our early days of In the Loop, I did the like 6.0 episode. Yeah. Or the episode where we talked about it, but like I don't actually know like like what prefaced it. Like you know, just like how it started. So, but it's so it's interesting to learn that it's been around for like pretty much the entire time yeah yeah they got like two separate scores from one to six one was um what they did and then one Mm -hmm. was how well executed it was yeah they they didn't actually like get points for artistry in those days Mm -hmm. and i think like one of the main differences was that everything like all of the competition was held in one day oh yeah so you had like the compulsory figures in the morning and then you had the free programs in the afternoon that's stressful i can't like I can't imagine that. <laughs> yes, I know, right? I'm just like, give them time to rest. Yes. The first time <laughs> they had like uh, had the competition on different days was at the Olympics in 1920. Oh, wow. And that was only because they had uh, too, too many people competing so that they had to split it for like organizational uh, reasons. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But can you imagine like... If we were doing worlds with like forty people competing and the oh adding god. all on the same day. Oh god. It's just like here's a twenty four hour figure skating day. You get no rest. Sucks for you. I'm I'm thinking more about the audience. Like they have to sit there. <laughs> at least the skaters only have to skate to a program. That's true. <laughs> I'd just be like I feel like with the competitions you're already like an ice rink hermit, like even worse with it all happening in one day yes oh god um anyway okay back to Salco so so he got silver in 1897 and 1899 and 1900 at Worlds so he was a triple silver medalist and then he won his first world title in 1901 yay Salco yay and after that point uh he would never again be defeated at Worlds like after that point it was it yeah yeah that's cool he's just like i'm i'm kicking butt taking names like he was testing out the waters with those silvers but once he got a taste of gold he never went back <laughs> yeah he he also won uh, nine european titles javier fernandez who yeah i know right take that javi he was only defeated once at euros and that was in 1901 so the year he won his first world and that was in vienna and he got the bronze behind Hugh and Fuchs. And in the first Tales of the Blade episode, we mentioned him because he offered his gold medal to match Sires, right? Oh, yeah. So that was his second world title. 
and she got the silver. Yeah, I remember researching that. Madge Sires, awesome lady. Go listen to our other Tales of the Blade episode about her. Yeah, and it actually seems that, you know, that was just the way he was because he also offered one of his post medals to Dick Button. My dude! In 1947. Uh, and Dick Button at that point got came second. But Salco felt that he should have won. And like a lot of people agreed because like people were like super salty about judging here. But yeah, he was <laughs> like, you should have won here. Have this medal. Ulrich seems like a pretty respectful dude. You know, with like giving away his gold medal to like who he thinks like rightfully should have won. Like that takes some like strength of character. Right. But it's also like very savage, especially like if you're not competing. <laughs> That's all that is also savage. He's like, I beat you but I'll give it to you. Yeah, and like at this competition with Big Button, he wasn't even competing. Oh, yeah? Yeah, no, it was like this other dude who won. Gershwiller won, and then Ulrich was like, no. (laughs) (laughs) No. He did not win. Uh Uh-uh. Not on my watch. (laughs) So it's like really, really, uh, yeah, savage. How to be savage and respectful at the same time. A guide to Ulrich Salko. I think you pretty much nailed his character right there. Whew, I'm impressed. Dick Button also talked about this and said that, you know, he uh, picked a trophy and then uh, since he had it given to him, he gave it to Misha Petkovic and then Misha Petkovic gave it to Paul Wiley. So they made it like, you know, a thing to give uh, to give the forward to people who they thought deserved it. So. It's just like a game of hot potato. With the gold. I think he started like a really sweet tradition. Sorry. He pretty much dominated. He got the world title in 1903 in St. Petersburg, 1904 in Berlin, and 1905 in Stockholm. And then he actually chose to not enter Worlds in 1906 in Munich because he felt like the judges wouldn't be fair to him. Because, you know, like uh, Fuchs, who was German, was competing. And the two of them, like, allegedly didn't get on very well. Fuchs actually skipped the 1908 Olympics in London for the same reason, because he felt like the judges were loving Salco too much. I mean, we gotta give some props to Fuchs here, because he was actually the first world champion ever in figure skating, so you know. Props to him for that, right? He's pretty cool too. But then Salco took back his title in 1907 in Vienna anyway. Nice. There was actually a funny anecdote about this competition. He actually wrote this himself, so I'm taking it from his own notes. So when this competition was starting, they were of course skating outdoors, and the temperature in the morning was minus 26 degrees Celsius. That's really cold. And he wrote about one of his competitors, uh, Per Thorén, also Swedish, that his uh, feet froze twice during the wait for their figures. Oh no! That's so sad. Yes. Buddy, invest in some socks. Some thermal socks would do you well. And then you know what happened? What happened? The organizers allowed some audience members to come down on the ice, which is like normally forbidden. And then the audience members learned to like stand in a long row against the windy side whenever it was time for one of their home skaters. Were they, like, defending against the wind? Yes, they got, like, a good wind break. (laughs) Um, And then... (laughs) But then the foreign skaters, then they just, like, dispersed. (laughs) (laughs) They're just like, screw you. I only care for my home skater. And then Salgo writes that, however much I maneuvered, those people ran over to the lee side when it was my turn. 
and they showed visible and audible amusement at these pranks against us. I'm just imagining, like, nowadays, like, people standing on the ice as someone skates. I'm just like, they would die. Anyway, so, uh, Salko went to the referee to get rid of them, and the referee said that, you know, it would be impolite to our hosts to do that. But he did agree that the audience should not be allowed to move during someone's turn. Yeah, that makes sense. So, when it was time for the, the final figures to be skated, Ulrich said, all right, I'll go to the other side. And then he did. And then at another piece of ice, he was now actually sheltered by the audience members who had tried to uh, hinder him. (laughs) And they weren't allowed to move, so... (laughs) (laughs) He's just like, I played you good. And then, you know, then the audience members realized, like, the comical in the situation where they were helping him. (laughs) The biggest rival. (laughs) (laughs) Literally, like, he's living up to his nature of respectful but savage. Yeah. (laughs) He's like, I won't force you to move, but I will make it so that you help me. And he finishes his notes this way. For the remaining figures, the goodwill was a fact amongst the not-so-unbiased group. They were obviously ashamed and tried to milden the appearance of bias against the foreigners. And because I won, I remember the whole thing as a funny event. But if I had lost... (laughs) Big emphasis on the lost. (laughs) If I had lost... You know, funny, he he can laugh at these things too. I like that about him. (laughs) He also got the gold medal at the very first Olympic game that featured figure skating. Oh, really? Yes, this was in 1908. Awesome. This was actually before the uh, uh, Winter Olympics was a thing. So uh, it was the fourth modern Olympic Games held in London. Summer Olympics, and it was supposed to be held in Italy, but they cancelled because there was like an eruption of Mount Vesuvio. That's a little dangerous. <laughs> yes, it is a little dangerous. Do you know how long this so-called Summer Olympics lasted? How long? <laughs> More than six months. Oh my god! Because I, I figured it had to have been weird because like, how can you include summer sports and figure skating at the same competition? But I'm like. Six months, dude. It started in April and then it ended at Halloween. Oh my god. Actually, to answer your question, the reason that figure skating could be included was because there was artificial ice available in London at the time. Oh, okay. The Olympics didn't actually uh, begin well because the Swedish team boycotted the opening ceremony because someone (laughs) had forgotten to fly the Swedish flag amongst the other countries' flags. (laughs) Oops. So that didn't start well. And then uh, the figure skating was like the final event, uh, the 28th and to 29th of October. So. Ooh, so it was like the grand finale. Yeah, pretty much. And our dude won! He did! Right on! Right on! It was actually a Swedish podium sweep in men's singles. Oh my god, nice! Sweden, Sweden, Sweden! That's beautiful. Yeah! And Salka was, of course gold yeah obviously it's what he deserves and another fun fact apart from singles the men could also compete in the discipline special figures interesting what was that 
the special figures are like the cool figures. So it was one of the one of the disciplines back then that stopped existing because like I guess people didn't really see the point in competing in it. But uh, and the guy who won it was a Russian and he was like known as the master of figures, Nikolai Panin. Interesting. And there was like a guaranteed medal because only three guys entered. Oh. <laughs> it's like two British dudes. <laughs> And then Panin. Uh, men's singles was a bit more popular. They had all of 10. Ooh, that competition though. Mm-hmm. I'm also gonna say that like skating was really popular in Sweden at this time. Mm-hmm. Because like every like every person in the country skated for fun. Mm-hmm. So people were like pretty knowledgeable about the sport and like the skill involved. So these guys were treated as basically superstars. So moving on. Salko also won the Worlds that year, and then he won Worlds in 1909, and then 1910 in Davos, where we make our next stop for an anecdote drop. Let's go. So Davos is interesting, because there were actually three skaters who showed off the the jumps that they had invented themselves. Oh, interesting. Yeah, we have, like, this is really cutting-edge stuff, so I love this. Salko had uh, debuted his uh, Salko already at his first world, uh, but back then it was only a single, and in 1910 he did a double Salko. <gasps> Ooh. Ooh, right? We're at double jumps now, suddenly. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, you know, do you know Ritberger? Yes. Yes. He invented a jump called Ritberger, right? Yes, which is now the loop, right? The loop, yes, exactly. Good. So in in some languages, it's still called a Ritberger. Not in Swedish, though, because we don't respect skaters who are not Swedes. <laughs> <laughs> Kidding. <laughs> um, and then uh, a lesser-known Swede, Per Thorén. This guy is a world's and Olympic medalist, and still nobody remembers him because the jump he invented did not actually get his name. He invented the half loop. Oh, the half loop? Yes. And, you know, people call it the Euler now, but it's actually the Turian. <laughs> Get it right. Get it right. It's the Turian people. <laughs> that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. So that's 1910. And then I'm also going to mention, like, a big thing that was happening around this time was the artificial indoor rinks that were, like, popping up. Because, of course, before, skaters were very dependent on uh, ice being naturally available so they could only practice during the winter months Mm -hmm. and as for competitions like a lot of competitions had to be cancelled because it wasn't cold enough and then sometimes it was too cold and windy so uh, we got like the first uh, indoor rinks uh, at the end of the 19th century but then we had the uh, uh, indoor rink opening in Berlin in 1908 which was really important because at that point the the rinks the indoor rinks were mostly in countries where skaters weren't very successful but then you know we had one opening in berlin and the german skaters were already quite successful so suddenly they had like a big weapon whereas these uh, in sweden people were more traditional and they they didn't open an indoor rink which was actually the reason why figure skating was not contested at the 19 19- 12 Olympics mm-hmm. because I was in Stockholm and they didn't have any indoor rings. Interesting. So suddenly we had like an edge here for skaters coming from countries where they did have uh, access to training all year round. Exactly, because they could get more practice. Yeah, exactly. So that's, for example, you know, Ritberger, he was one of the first indoor skaters 
So Mm -hmm. he could practice a lot compared to like Sako, for example. Yeah, exactly. But then, you know, that could also be a disadvantage because during uh, 1910 worlds, there was a lot of wind and snow happening. Oh, and so you're not, if you're not used to it. Exactly. And then you had like the hardened Swedes. (laughs) They're just like, this is nothing. Yeah, exactly. But then again, like uh, at, at Euros that year, it was held indoors and Brit Berger still lost to Salco. So, you know, <laughs> just saying. Get wrecked. You know, it's kind of interesting that like it was a problem or like a disadvantage to some people that some skaters had indoor rinks mm. that they could practice with year round. And like that's still somewhat of a problem today. Like con- like in countries where figure skating isn't as developed, they have less access to public rinks. Yeah. Or like yeah. to private rinks. Yeah, definitely. So it's just interesting how it's, like, still a problem, just in a different way. And, I mean, also, like, the first uh, indoor rinks uh, that were opening at that time as well were for uh, public skating. So it's not like the uh, competitive skaters could really use them. So So we have come to Selko's final worlds in 1911. Oh, no. And, you know, it was a really important competition for him. Uh, he wrote uh, for one of the one of the magazines. He wrote, "It is about my tenth title. I knew very well that a failure would rob me of more prestige than all my nine world titles had gotten me." So you know, feeling the pressure. This is so dramatic. Yeah, I know. It's really. Do you, Do you know what happened? He won. Yeah. <laughs> he nice. Won. <laughs> nice. And I just want to read. Uh, because he was he was also a magazine writer, so he did some reporting and he actually wrote about this competition himself. So I just want to quote, this is my own translation from Swedish. Mm-hmm. So he wrote this. Uh, in the loop paragraphs, Kahlo was brilliant with small, extremely well-drawn and covered figures. But his posture was almost a parody. Gender <laughs> skated well, a bit brutally. Wittberger, decently soft and beautiful. Poole pottered it together fairly well, but was completely dead. Stixrud <laughs> was sure, but ugly. In the next <laughs> figure, I and Johansson were superior to the rest. Shende was too unclean in the changes of edge. Wittberger, ridiculously small and unsure. Kachler took the turns well, but in other parts was not at all prepared for the task. Six squid surprisingly good, but still with no posture. And Poole, as usual, pottered together the figure with no speed. <laughs> he was so savage. He was. He was just like, you all suck. <laughs> I-, I am here for the gold. Get out of my way. <laughs> you all are just terrible. <laughs> imagine him writing this uh, article when he was, like, competing. I just imagine him, like, sitting there with a gold medal around his neck, like, yeah, like, Ritberger, he sucked. <laughs> Six food sucked. <laughs> you suck. Wow. God, I love him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, he, he, he has the sort of, like, brutally honest thing about him, but he, he also, like, seems quite honest. Yeah. And... He, he also, like, def- defended a lot of people. and But even when he was defending them, he had the same sort of, like, brutal edge to it. <laughs> so he just, like, comes across as really someone who says exactly what's on his mind. <laughs> and honestly, I respect that so much. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, 
he seems so intimidating. Honestly, I would probably be intimidated by him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, imagine this legendary skater just, like, writing these sort of sarcastic, still quite funny, you know, reports from his competition. I love that. Imagine, like, the reigning, like, world champion just, like, roasting you. <laughs> dragging you through the mud. Yeah. Despite this, he actually seemed to be, like, really well-liked. And he often came across as, like, joking around with everyone and chatting and just generally being a people person. And kind of a party guy as well when he was young. I feel like I could go have a drink with him. Yeah, me too, me too. But then also like really strong-willed. You know, he, he was really focused. He could achieve anything he wanted. And that's when you look at the other things he's done. For example, he was active in biking and sailing. Interesting. Yeah, and you know what else he did for fun? What did he do? Bobsleigh. <laughs> God, what a guy. Yeah, and he wrote... A book called Handbook for Figure Skating on Skates. As opposed to not on skates. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> he wrote many articles and he created his own skates. Oh, really? That's apparently something people did in the old days. Like, it wasn't particularly remarkable, I think. People were just, like, creating their own skates just, like, for fun. And, you know, being an athlete in those days was not an occupation. So he also ran his own company. Just casual. Yeah, I mean, gotta earn your money some, some way. Gotta right? get that cash. Yeah. I mean, time worked differently back in those days, I think, because otherwise I don't know how, how he had time to do all that. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and he was part of so many committees. He was the ISU president for 12 years. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Uh, after he retired, he was he also created uh, or took part in creating the Swedish Figure Skating Association mm -hmm. and was also a member of the board for several years. And he was also uh, part of the board for the Swedish Sports Confederation. He was also a longtime chairman of the Swedish Boxing Association. Okay, wh what even? <laughs> Amateur boxing, yes, really. I'm Dude, what were you doing? And the Swedish Cycling Association. What even? I'm just wondering, like, who enjoys being part of committees? Like, really? <laughs> Honestly, he seemed like that, like, that person that, like, you aspire to be who, like, does all these different sports and, like, is a part of all these committees and, like, and that person in, like that you always aspire to be. Like, that's him. Yeah, yeah. And he was also president of uh, a Swedish sports club called uh, AIK. And I just have to tell you that there's a rhyme w uh, uh, in the part of Sweden I'm from, which is which means learn to crawl, learn to walk, learn to hate. A-I-K. <laughs> learn to hate. All my life, I have learned to hate A-I-K. So, you know, I'm holding that against him, actually. That's his flaw. You're just, like, reading about him and you're just like, oh my god. I mean, I, I can probably forgive him for being president of that sports club, but, you know. Probably. Probably, yeah. And he was also actually active as a referee in a lot of figure skating competitions after he retired. And he was known for saying... What isn't forbidden is allowed. I mean, he's not wrong. Yeah. I think that's a message that we can wholeheartedly endorse. <laughs> that's gonna be my life motto. Yeah, I'm I'm but I'm imagining like when he was using this, I'm I'm imagining like a lot of people complaining about skaters doing unconventional things and him just being like, What isn't forbidden is allowed. He's not wrong. 
Right on, dude. Right on. Yeah, right on. Yeah, he had a lot of influence even after he retired. And he uh, he was a big inspiration, especially like uh, creative creatively. A lot of people pointed out, for example, how similar Wittberger's programs were to Salko's. And he actually chose to retire at a really fortuitous moment because figure skating was about to be struck with a great tragedy, the First World War. Oh, yeah. yeah. I realized he, re- he he retired after his 10th Worlds, right? Yeah, yeah. So I was like, that was right before World War One. so like, obviously it would have taken a dip then. Yeah, and actually after 1914 Worlds, there was no Worlds for seven years. Oh, wow. So that's why the Olympics of 1920 were a big deal, because it was the first major figure skating competition in seven years. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. At that competition, Germans and Austrians were banned from competing. (laughs) Oh, man. I wonder why. (laughs) Weird. So, I'm gonna end on this note. Picture, 1920, first major figure skating competition in almost seven years. Mm -hmm. Eight years since the last and first time figure skating was featured at the Olympics. Who could resist it? Not Salco. <laughs> At the age of 42, he wa- had been retired for 11 years. He was the uncleest uncle. <laughs> Rumors abound ahead of the Olympics. They said Salco was back. So there was a record number of competitors at this mm-hmm. competition, and indoor skating was still quite new and exciting. 1920, you know. Salco unfortunately caught a terrible cold. Mm. And at practice, he also injured his knee. And he had to compete with it, like, swollen and stuff. Oh, old man. And then this also was a fact when in the free program, Salko fell on a... <laughs> Salko! Oh, no! <laughs> he did not manage to defend his Olympic title. Rip in peace. I should think that ending up fourth place would seem like pretty darn good. Dude, fourth place at the age of 42 is pretty impressive. Yeah, yes. That is where I will end this tale. I love this man. <laughs> I I knew you would. I love this man. <laughs> He's the greatest. He's like, yeah, I'm 42 years old. I'm going to go compete anyway. I mean, you got to admire him. He wasn't afraid of like ruining his reputation or anything. He was just like, he had to go. He was just like, yeah, whatever. I'll do it. I'll do it. What an icon. Jeez. Yes. We should all take inspiration from his story, I think. We should all take inspiration from what isn't forbidden is allowed. <laughs> yes. I'm going to make that the new ITL motto. <laughs> <laughs> what isn't forbidden is allowed. Sponsored by Oryx Alco. <laughs> Thank you for listening. We hope to see you again for our next episode. If you want to get in touch with us, then please feel free to contact us via our website, indelowpodcast.com, or on Twitter or Tumblr. You can find our episodes on YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify. If you enjoy the show and want to help support the team, please consider making a donation to us on our coffee page, and we'd like to give a huge thank you to all the listeners who have contributed to our team thus far. You can find the links to all our social media pages and our coffee on the website. If you're listening on iTunes, please consider leaving a rating and a review if you enjoyed the show. Thanks for listening. This has been Carly and Tilda. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Hope you learned something new. <laughs> <laughs>